live from Las Vegas. This is the Sports Betting Preview Show, a pregame.com podcast. This is your host this week, Marco D'Angelo. I'm here with Vegas runner, a man that has never had a job. He's made his living betting sports and running all over Las Vegas. I'm also joined with Stephen Nover. Stephen Nover, over 30 years experience in the sports betting world. He's been a sports writer, radio host, and a sports better. RJ, um, not on the scene this week. Last we saw of RJ, he was at the Super Bowl last Sunday. Uh, don't know for sure when he's getting back, but uh, rumor has it his mail is being forwarded to Mons Venus in Tampa Bay. They saw him go in, but he hasn't come out yet, last I heard. <laughs> so we'll put out an APB on RJ and get him here for next week. Well, guys, you know, Super Bowl Sunday, what a game. You know, a big Steeler fan, you know that. I did think the Steelers would, you know, blow uh, Arizona out. I missed my first pick this year with uh, involving a Pittsburgh team as I had Pittsburgh. Obviously, they won but didn't cover. But what a game we had. I mean, exciting right down to the end. Uh, BR, what was your take on the game uh, Sunday? Uh, just incredible. I mean, I'm sure every sports better in the country went through every motion in that game, regardless of which side you had, which total you had. Um, I mean, it was just one wild game, especially when you go back and you look at the stat sheet and everything. I mean, it, it was incredible. I mean, what else could I say? The way it finished, the way it began, um, Arizona coming back to cover the number when they were winning money line and the sports books were, were losing their minds at that point when they took a lead with 258 left in the fourth. If Arizona came in money line, there'd have been a lot of problems at the sports books. <laughs> But uh, Pittsburgh came back, didn't get the cover for us, but they got there on the money line. Steven, how did you enjoy the Super Bowl Sunday? Well, uh, from a fan perspective, um, <clears throat> certainly very entertaining. Uh, from a betting perspective, I uh, was with you guys. I thought Pittsburgh would cover that number, and um, so I feel very let down there. Uh, in hindsight, Pittsburgh on the money line in Arizona uh, plus the points would have been an outstanding way to go. But I had a strong opinion that Pittsburgh would cover six and a half and it, it's very weird they they won the game but didn't cover the spread that doesn't happen too too often in a uh, in a spread in, in that range usually the, the team that wins is going to cover the game and uh i think the game fell in the mix um as far as a, a betting perspective certainly arizona those backing arizona can say look we got the cover we almost won the game we were on the right side now, if you were on Pittsburgh laying the six and a half, I think you can equally argue that you had the right side, the right handicap. I mean, these guys were up, what, 20 to seven. They had several chances to cover that number, settled for field goals instead of touchdowns, some questionable play calling there at the end. And um, it was very frustrating, uh, you know, from a betting perspective, if, if you were laying, laying the spread with Pittsburgh. From my standpoint, and I'll be honest with the game, and, you know, I love Pittsburgh, but I can't honestly say the best team won. I, Arizona played their guts out, and really, you know, two big plays in the game for me. Uh, the first thing that I thought watching the game is, and I love Coach Tomlin for the Steelers, but I was screaming at the TV in the first drive when it was fourth and they're at the one-yard line. Settle for a field goal. To go for the field goal. You come into that game, you're the favorite. You're the team that's supposed to flex their muscles. And I know old school, get points. you're supposed to get points, put the points up on the board, be the first one there. But let's go worst case scenario. If you don't score, you've got the number one defense yes. in the league. Some people think the best defense maybe Ever. of all time. And where does Arizona start? They start inside their one on the first drive of the game. Arizona was a young ball club that never had been in the Super Bowl before. So nerves had to be, you know, a problem, you know, something to deal with. So why not put them at the one-yard line at worst-case scenario or take, or take a 7 nothing lead? That, to me, kind of set the tone for the game. And, you know, I said it to my buddies and that when we were watching the game. Whenever they settled for the field goal to start the second half, I, the handwriting was on the wall. I said, this game's going to fall six, and we're going to lose by half a point. I, I can just see it coming. And if the Steelers don't get that interception at the end of the half and that guy runs a bit, that's a 14-point play. And, you know, if Arizona goes in with the lead 
at halftime. I don't know what what the second half would have you know brought, but it was an exciting game nonetheless. Um, you know, was it the best Super Bowl of all time? You know, it's got to be up there in the top five. Oh, for sure, sure, just the way it ended. I mean, but it was a wild game. I mean, people are complaining about the referees. I mean, how many safeties do you get in the Super Bowl? You know, how many are actually called during the season in the end zone? You know, it has to be very blatant to call a holding call in the end zone. I mean, it was just a strange game. I don't have a problem with that holding call in the end zone, VR. But, you know, the ironic thing is a lot of people that that better safety would happen – you're very excited about it. But I think it was inevitable that a safety was going to occur because I think if Pittsburgh would have had to punt from the half-yard line, they would have automatically taken the safety because they still would have been up four points and gotten out of that True. field position hold. So I think it was preordained there was going to be a safety in that game. The sad that. part of that was, though, which was a big play in the game, the Steelers converted the first down. The the play that they called the holding on that reverted in a safety instead of having the ball out of the shadow of your goalpost and a first down and a new set of downs, which could have totally changed the game, they got called for the safety and had to punt the ball to uh, Arizona. Well, usually when Pittsburgh has a 20-7 to lead going into the fourth, I mean, you saw that stat. They were, what, 1-142 in yeah. or something like that? They don't lose. They don't lose. But the problem was, and I think this is the reason they didn't get the cover, they couldn't run on Arizona. And what shocked me even more was they didn't try to. I mean, Pittsburgh Steelers having only 26 rushing attempts, four of them by Roethlisberger, you know, 22 rushing attempts by the Steelers is shocking to me. Well, Usually, even if, if they're even getting stopped and rushing for two yards of carry, they're still going to push it in. They're still going to grind you. But I was shocked with that. I mean, we knew Arizona was going to abandon the run, so I'm not shocked seeing they only attempted 12 rushes. But on the Pittsburgh side is what, what shocked me a little bit because I thought even without success, they were still going to punish them. They were still going to run the ball and try to wear them out. Actually, I thought the other way, VR, one of my props on Sunday I had Roethlisberger over the total for the total yards. I think it was like 236 or 237. I did feel that Pittsburgh was going to come out and throw the ball. Right, right. But I mean with a lead. Yeah, once they got the lead, I agree with you. But remember, too, they started deep in their territory a couple times in that second half where, you know, whenever you're playing, you know, the shadow of your goalpost and the defense knows you're going to run and they're stacking and you don't want to take a chance for the turnover. It makes it tough to do. For three observations on my end, um, I thought um, I was disappointed betting Pittsburgh in their offensive line. I did not think the offensive line did very well. Again, and that's not a great Arizona defense. I give credit to Arizona defense, but I was disappointed in Pittsburgh's offensive line. I don't understand why Pittsburgh continually runs Willie Parker inside. Willie Parker is dangerous on the outside, so why would you run him inside? And my third post-Super Bowl observation is the refereeing. I thought it was too technical. Uh, there was too many penalties. One of the referees was a local guy, Mark Perlman, who I remember from covering preps for the Review Journal uh, when he was a, a local high school referee doing basketball games. And he was a very good referee, but he was always then calling too many plays and just dominating the action. You, you're there to see the players. You're not there to see penalties on every play. Uh, some of them, yes, were legitimate. Some borderline, don't call the borderline ones in the Super Bowl. And then with all these booth reviews and the Gary Russell touchdown, it was so obvious. Why are you doing a booth review? The one you needed to do a booth review at the end with Kurt Warner, that was done in five seconds. Now, can we come on? That's that's one. They have 18, 19 penalty calls in a Super Bowl. And, you know, I remember I gave out Arizona to have more penalties. I expected they were the more, you know, freshman team out there, a couple false starts. I was thinking more on that level on why there would be penalty calls. But I was just shocked, like Steve said, with all these little technicalities they were looking for in the last game of the season. It just it didn't follow how the regular season and playoffs went. If you know, you gotta be consistent with, with your I, penalty calling. I hate referees with Eagles. And uh, the, the, the all time most hated NFL referee that I hated the most was Jerry Markbright. Because he had this huge ego. He would dominate the game. He would be the center star. You'd he, always, uh, if they had a prop, would there be a penalty on the opening kickoff when Mark Bright was officiating the game? I'd always go, yes, there would be. So I'm so glad when he retired. But now you get this refereeing crew. Again, these guys got to use their heads. I don't want to be hearing their names. I want to be hearing the players' names. 
Good point. One thing back up that you said about the Steeler offensive line. Do you think part of that was Wisenhunt and Grimm's knowledge of the Pittsburgh offense? I mean, Grimm was the offensive line coach, and uh, you had the uh, Wisenhunt was the offensive coordinator to know the blocking schemes and know how to attack where the weak spots could be on that offense that would help them to make an average Arizona defense a little bit better having a little bit of inside knowledge of how to attack and how to scheme. Well, it could be, Marco, but they've been going there from, for two years now, and there was two weeks between the games. I don't think there was going to be any surprises here. I, I was also disappointed in the play calling of Bruce Aarons, the, the Steeler offensive coordinator. I, I thought the whole key play of the entire game was when Pittsburgh was up, I believe it was 20-7, to 7, and they had the ball around midfield. They were driving. It was uh, Willie Parker had just gained six yards on first down. They were there for the knockout punch and the cover. Yeah. And it was second and four, and I'm screaming, pass, pass the ball, like Ali jabbing in a fight. <laughs> you know, you run at your passage, you keep them off balance. What does he do? He runs Willie Parker into the line, into the teeth of an Arizona blitz, which you could see was coming. It was going to be a run blitz. Pass blitz, whatever. They were coming up the middle. That's where he ran Willie Parker. If he would have at least run him outside, if they would have done a, a pass, anything but that call. And then after that, on third down, Roethlisberger sacked. They punt to the Arizona 15. Warner comes up with an epic drive, and the Cardinals get back in the game. So I thought that was the key play of the game. Um, one final note here, and then we're going to actually, in this first segment, normally we save our question of the week uh, to a later segment, but it kind of ties into the Super Bowl and talk. I'm going to set the stage with some numbers from this year's Super Bowl, and then we'll go to the question of the week. And uh, they had $81.5 million bet on the Super Bowl in the state of Nevada, um, 176 uh, sports books in the state of Nevada. They profited for the 16th year out of the last 18. The sports book showed a profit on the Super Bowl, and the numbers that I am seeing are $6.7 million profit for Nevada on the Super Bowl. Um, Stephen, what uh, I know you did a blog yesterday too um, on this, and you can check out a lot of interesting blogs at pregame.com. Uh, Go to the blog section. Stephen, want to tell us about the Super Bowl, what you're hearing around town? Well, it's um, as far as the win percentage, I mean, they're, they're happy they won. They might have lost if Arizona would have won the game, you know, with all those money line wagers. Six point million is okay. Obviously, it certainly beats losing, but they've had years in the past five, seven years where they've won double, double digit, you know, 10, 11, 12 million. And uh, so, you know, they probably have mixed feelings. They go, yes, we're thankful we won, but, you know, it hasn't been like it was in the past. As far as the dip in handle uh, for the last, um, I think, uh, three, four, five years, it's been in the 90 million figure. It was obvious um, because of the economy that it was going to take a hit this year. 81 million, well, you're maybe hoping it might have been a little more because I'm sure the offshores, their handle was down. Sure. And... Um, so that, um, you know, we'll have to see, but I think that's definitely related to all the problems Vegas has been having tourist-wise and hotel occupancy-wise, all that. It's all wrapped in, and this is just indicative that their handle's down, what, 10 15% VR. Well, well true. When you could come to town on Super Bowl Sunday and still get a room and pay less than $200, obviously they're expecting a much different crowd than what they usually get for Super Bowl. Usually the Super Bowl week is when the VIPs come in, where the hosts whip out their black books and try to get every whale, you know, in there to come to the state and, and visit the, the, the shop and bet there. Um, I wasn't surprised that the books, I think they did well, to tell you the truth. To come out with what, what is that, about 6 or 7% gain is actually pretty good. When you look last year, they lost about 3%, and they hadn't done that for a long time. I think for a decade straight, they won money. Even though when you look back, you know, some years, like I remember St. Louis and New England, the one when it landed on a field goal, um, they only made like 1% of all the handle. Uh, especially when you have all four sides of the teaser cashing, it's not a good thing for the books. Yeah. No matter what teaser anyone bet, cashed. So that's not a good thing. They got lucky that Arizona didn't win the game. Myself, when it comes to the handle, I'm not that shocked. The economy's going to drop it. But let's look at the big picture, guys. I mean, for a while there, from 2000 to 2005, they were getting around $70 million 
average every year bet on the Super Bowl. And everybody thought that was huge. Then all of a sudden, with the boom of the internet and offshore gambling, more people got into sports betting. And we saw that transition around 2004, 2005. All of a sudden, they get to 80 million, you know, 90 million. So it jumped very quickly. I mean, when you look at 2003, they booked 71 million. And then 2004, 81 million. 2005, 90 million. And it stayed in the 90s for the last three years. Um, now, all of a sudden, sure, with the economy, we got a drop. But having it go back to only 80 million, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think we did okay with the crowd. I believe people were a little, I wouldn't say cheaper. They were just more, you know, careful. They didn't bet as much as usual. They didn't throw as many prop bets out there for fun as they usually do, which is where the books look to make a profit because your recreational better won't find an edge as much as your sophisticated better might in them props. Um, so, you know, I think it was a good year. I think it was a good Super Bowl for the books. Getting 7% when it lands like that, I, I think they're real happy walking away with a profit. Let's tell it like it is. Um, with that, we're going to segue right into the question of the week, which has kind of been what we've been talking about. And our buddy on the forums, and uh, Ace helped me with uh, Saw with Steve. That's my man, Saw. Okay, yes, well, Saul. he's got a coupon coming for $100 this week because we've had a three-week rollover on the question of the week. So he will receive a $100 coupon to use at Pregame Pros uh, for any of the uh, cappers' picks. And uh, here is his question this week. With Vegas taking in less money than in years past, is this a trend that betting as a whole will be less and less? What will the new president do in terms of what we will and will not be able to do? He seems very open in many things. Is this a sign that things might change? How do you as gamblers adapt to new presidents and their philosophies? And more importantly, what do you do going forward after football season is finished? Do you review the past six months and make changes for next year? Or do you simply go with what's been on your plate and continue with the same way of handicapping? Lastly, now that futures are out for next year's Super Bowl, when do you really consider taking a stance? You want to start it? Yeah, when it comes to futures for next year's Super Bowl, yeah. I actually wait until the preseason. For starters, too many things can happen between now and then with free agency, with the draft, with injuries. You know, so, I mean, to really stick your neck out there this early on... I don't see the value in it, to be honest with you, especially since sportsbooks aren't offering them 500 to 1s anymore like we used to see. I mean, even your worst team, the Detroit Lions, you might be able to get 100 to 1 or whatever they are, 200 to 1. But Well, yeah. but let's be blunt. If you have an opinion on next year's Super Bowl in February, you're an idiot. Yeah. It's <laughs> I mean, little... let's be blunt. I mean, there's free agency hasn't yeah, even there's, begun. There's... The draft hasn't begun. You don't know about injuries yet. I mean, Too much. Uh, when it comes to, to Obama in this, you know, our new president, our new cabinet, our new Congress, our new Senate. Um, I really think that they will be pushed into a corner where they will have to address the issue immediately from an economic standpoint. The money's laying there on the table and there is never more of a need for it than there is today. All they have to do is open up shop tomorrow and it'll ease our economic woes a little bit. Um, when you look, I mean, listening, I remember when I first came out here and stuff, I remember hearing Ken White talking before 2000 and he, his, his dream, he thought that by 2010 there would be kiosks at the stadiums where you would be able to go and, and you would be able to bet. Um, on the game when you went into the stadium. They have them, except it's in England. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously that hasn't happened here yet. But, I mean, uh, could it happen in the future? Sure. I think first, for us to... to, to feel like sports betting is coming on, I think we got to see poker first. When poker's accepted first here in the States online, then I think we could move into sports. Until that day comes, I don't think sports is going to beat poker to legalization in the United States. As an avid uh, poker player, uh, poker's going to happen first. And, and they definitely feel that with having the Democratic regime in office, that that is going to happen. And it... There is, like you said, there is so much money that's being left on the table that, you know, just legalize it and tax it and take the money. And regulate it and, and everybody's happy. You know, and it, it's, it's a, 
poker, who does it hurt? You know, we're all big boys. Well, now it's come out of the back rooms. I mean, before poker was, you know, cigar smokers, gangsters, and in back rooms. Now it's accepted. Everyone's playing. And I think sports betting is more like that now. It's not associated as much with the leg breakers as it is with, you know, guys having to bet on the game. It's more accepted, I think, than it was in the past. It's definitely past due for every American to be able to wake up and place a wager if he feels the need to do so. I've said it from day one. They always say that if you legalize betting, you're, you know, creating, you know, temptation, people are going to get in over their heads. I think it's just the opposite. If you legalize it, you can only make wagers with money that you have in your account. And people will not get in trouble like they do with bookmakers, with credit. Exactly. With, I couldn't agree more, Mark. You, when you can bet on paper, that's when you get yourself into trouble. When you have to walk into the sports book and lay your 220 to you know win your 200, if you don't have the 220 in your pocket, you can't bet that thing. That's why li- living out here in Vegas, it, it changes you as a professional better because of that. I mean, I came from a city where, I mean, I had credit, I, more credit than I could use. But when you come here, you got to put it up at the window, and it's a little different feeling counting out them bills than it is yeah. just picking up a phone and, and saying, give me 5000 on on this team. I, I remember when the Republicans were in power and in office, I was saying, well, one of the best uh, uh, jobs you can have now in the future is to be a bookmaker, be a street bookmaker, because <laughs> you're going to get a lot more action now. Well, now we got someone with half a brain in, in the presidency office, this country needs money. They need an influx of money. There's tremendous millions, billions of money being bet offshore. Why shouldn't that money be coming here? What the heck is wrong with sports wagering? What the heck is wrong with playing poker? Especially it's when your there's entertainment money. so many other forms of gambling. That's what. That's where you know it gets. It don't make sense. When you could buy a lotto ticket, when you could buy a scratch ticket, when you could play bingo, when you could do things like that. There shouldn't be, you know, it's not like you, you, you should be able to do one thing and not the other. You know, well, gambling is gambling. That's the bottom line. With sports betting, your odds are about 50-50 with the point spread. You think your odds are 50-50 with lotto no, and it, exactly. uh, bingo? And uh... and I'm a big, as you know, I have horses and everything, but you know, horse racing wagering has been legal forever, and your odds are, you know, 9 to 1, 8 to 1, however many horses are in that field that you're betting. So, you know, let's let's get our heads out of our butts, make it legal, make money for the country, and I, I let's always, move forward. I always wondered, Marco, why <clears throat> certain exemptions such as horse racing were carved out. Why is horse racing betting fine, but sports betting isn't fine? One of the things with the horse racing industry in a whole is that there are so many jobs associated with the horse racing industry. From the farmers that grow, you know, the hay and oats that the horses eat, to all the people that take care of the horses at the track, to the tracks themselves. It, it's a big business, and it, one just fuels all the others. And that's why, you know, I mean, I'm well versed in the monies that are coming into the state of Pennsylvania, where I was from, because of the addition of slot machines. The revenue, and that was that bill was tied directly to the horse racing industry. They only passed that bill to allow the slots so that the horse racing industry gets a cut of it. And I can tell you personally, the purse size of the races have gone through the roof. I went from the top race at my hometown track 18 months ago was $9,000. Now we're racing for a $25,000 purse. And that's just because of those little old ladies pulling that slot machine. One of our uh, greatest presidents was a huge horse racing better. Just loved it. Andrew Jackson. Well, he, Look at the $20 bill sometime. And he was a fanatical horse yeah, racing better, and, huge better. And J. Edgar Hoover. Yeah. I mean, look, Costello said he, what did he say? I had to fix so many damn races for that bastard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he used to have to fix the races and give J. Edgar the picks. So. One last thing on our question of the week. Um, you guys point out, I agree with everything you guys said. You can't make a bet on next year's Super Bowl until you have all of the facts. The value's not there. But the other point, too, the casinos don't give you interest on your money for a year. You know, why, why tie up your money for, you know, a year? Because, you know, you're going to be talking next, you know, end of January, 1st of February to be cash in a Super Bowl future. And as far as adjusting, um, what I do, me personally... I never abandon anything that I use. 
If it's one year that something didn't win, you make notes of it. You go back and look at the games you lost and see if there's something that you missed in your handicapping. But you don't throw something out that's been time-tested for years because it had one bad year. Now, if a trend turns and you have several bad years in a row with a particular angle, then you got to adjust what, what you're doing. But you can make some minor adjustments, but never throw out something that's been a winner for you in the past. I agree. And for myself, when the football season's over, I close the books. I mean, as once I, I definitely have done my accounts and my balances and I know how I did, I wrap it up. Because during the season, I take notes. I'm a big note taker. So I have a folder with about five, six, seven pages of notes. And what I do is come August, I take that out and I go over it with the guys that helped me and we go over it two, three, four times and hope that some of them notes help us with the upcoming season. Maybe, you know, pass on some of the things that hurt us the year before and that kind of thing. And some of the things that happen with systems or angles that you use is Vegas makes adjustments too. If Vegas is getting pounded on a certain trend, they're going to make adjustments. And probably one of the most famous ones was, you know, way back in the day, it was an automatic. If you had a home underdog on Monday Night Football, that was like money in the bank. You didn't even have to handicap the game. You just, you, you blindly bet the home dog. And Vegas was getting pounded on that, and they started skewing the numbers, skewing the numbers to get them into play that it's been a 50% proposition since. And those are types of things that you do make adjustments to. I, I think in 2008 what really came out is um, how tough it was for West Coast teams traveling to the East Coast in the NFL with early start times. They had a horrible, horrible straight-up record, horrible, horrible spread record. And the odds makers were making adjustments. I remember talking to some of them saying, how much are you adjusting on this? And they would say, well, not enough. And each time that each happened, that time it would happen, they would adjust it even more. So I think that was a big trend. Do we throw that out for 2009? Well, no, but be aware that it, it could be, be value going the other way now. Exactly. You know, they can overcompensate yes. something and, and take the inflated line. Well, that's going to wrap up our first segment. We actually kind of put two segments into one there, so it was a lengthy first segment. When we come back, we're going to talk about the games of the week. We've got a big NBA game of the week and a college game of the week, so we'll be right back in a moment. This is RJ Bell, founder of Pregame.com, here to tell you about our free $25 offer for new members. That's right, join Pregame.com for free, and you get $25 to spend any way you want. No purchase or obligation required. For $25, you can get just about any best bet you want. This is a no-lose deal. Sign-up takes less than 60 seconds. Visit pregame.com backslash join. That's pregame.com backslash J-O-I-N and get your free $25 before it's too late. Welcome back to the Sports Betting Preview Show, a pregame.com podcast. This is Marco D'Angelo along with Vegas Runner and Steven Nover. This is segment two, and we are going to take a look, preview a couple games from this weekend coming up. We've got a college game of the week and an NBA game of the week. And I'm going to jump to the NBA game of the week because this is probably one of the most exciting games of the year in the NBA We've got the L.A. Lakers on Sunday traveling in to play Cleveland. And everybody knows Cleveland undefeated at home. I believe they're 23-0 and at home this year. LeBron James just having an exceptional year. Lakers, Kobe. Uh, Lakers lost uh, Andrew Bynum this week with an injury. Um, Steven, you want to tell us about this game? Break down hmm. some points there? Well, a, a lot. Uh, Cleveland has a lot going for it in this game. Obviously, we don't know the point spread at this time. We've just got to see if it's it's manageable. But this is, uh, unlike the Lakers, the Cavaliers don't get that many nationally televised games. And this is a Sunday game. They've had three days off to prepare for this game. While the Lakers are playing their sixth road game in 10 days, the Cavaliers have a strong revenge motive. They were out in the West Coast three weeks ago, and the Lakers um, blew them out. 105 to 88, and uh, from an individual standpoint, uh, LeBron against Kobe, uh, it's going to be a, a sure sh should be a great matchup. Uh, the Cavaliers, when they lost to the Lakers three weeks ago, did not have Zadrunas Elgaskis. They'll have him back. He could be a factor without Andrew Bynum uh, to defend him. So it's just a question of 
how high of a number are you going to have to lay with the Cavaliers because they appear to be the right side here? PR? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's with Bynum going down, that's going to be huge. Uh, you know, what people overdo is they overlook, you know, what his real asset is to the team. And what people usually do, most, most handicappers, is they look at the statistics, they look at raw data, and they form a conclusion. But sometimes that's where I think watching the games gives a, a, a good handicapper an edge. Because when I watch the Lakers, what I see that Bynum doing that doesn't appear on the stat sheet is he contests shots. He is in the face of every shot taker in that lane. I mean, now, what do you do? Who's there to contest those shots? So I, I think as we go forward, this injury will take a toll on the Lakers. Uh, you know, right now, you're playing more on, on adrenaline and everybody steps up when there's a big injury. But I think as time goes on, we're going to see the effects of it more and more. I'm excited about this Sunday game. I mean, we got great games now, you know, coming up in NBA and in college, and none better than, than Cavs-Lakers, especially with the way that both LeBron and Kobe have been playing leading up to this game. I'm just hoping that the Cavs are healthy. They've been hit with the flu bug lately. Hopefully that's, you know, has no bearing come Sunday. That's one thing we're going to have to keep our eye on, the health of the team. As a sidebar to this game, keep in mind that the Bynum injury has – ramifications uh, with a lot of players and I've been making money the last couple of days on prop bets betting over on Paul Gasol uh, there's been some offshore books that match him up against other players on head-to-head -head props and I've been playing him against these other players his scoring and rebounding have gone up since Bynum has been out obviously Kobe his scoring has gone way up but they're kind of nailing you with attacks on Kobe but look as a sidebar to ways to make money on, on props on this type of thing Definitely, and uh, to add one of the things that you said, VR, with the Bynum injury, um, in an earlier podcast we had talked about one of the things that I love is the injured player theory. I love to take a team the first game after a major injury because, as you said, the team, the rest of the team, you know, they play at a different intensity level. They're playing at 110% effort because they're trying to compensate for the injury, and generally that first game after the injury is a good effort for the injured team. It split, though, last night, Marco. I, I tried that theory. Um, it worked for um, Orlando. They blew out a, a real bad Clippers team, losing Jameer Nelson, but it didn't work last night for the Hornets. Yeah. They didn't have Chris Paul, and um, I thought uh, Antonio Daniels, uh, you know, his experience, he knows how to get the ball to his shooters. I thought it would work for them, and that was one a, a loser I had last night. Blown out by, by the Bulls. It, you know, it really surprised me. So um, I, I wish, you know, you could really pinpoint the handicapping. In theory, that sounds good, and it works some of the time, but it, it didn't work for the Hornets, and I thought it would work. Well, that's Sunday game. What do you think the line will be around the Cavs? You're going to get taxed on the Cavs. They, the odds makers are going to anticipate that you're going to want to play the Cavs in that game. They're going to nail you an extra point or two. The key, uh, like for me to make my, my fair line, I need to see how these teams do the next day or two. Mm -hmm. But for a true line, I, I myself, I, you know, I already start working on the weekend games, especially because Saturday is such a big slate. Um, I've, the line I made for that game, I think a true line would be around five. I don't think the Cavs should be more than five, it'll five be, and a half. It'll be a little higher. I but I think higher, a total yeah. of 201 I made, you know. Uh, it I, should be. Maybe that's a pure handicapping line, but because of yeah, these that's my, situational, that's my true line. But the situational factors edge. that I pointed out, I think it's going to come a little five and a half, six. I wouldn't be surprised to see seven on the game. Yeah. You're gonna, as long, people love to take the revenge situation. So you got Cleveland in revenge. You got the Lakers on the long road trip. And you got as long as Cleveland's still undefeated at home, you're going to pay the premium for that. And not only are they winning at home, they're destroying everybody. And it's, you know, that's one thing. It, you know, this might be the magical run for the Cavs because, you know, it's contract year for LeBron. You know, what, it, you know, if. If LeBron goes somewhere else, Cleveland, you might as well just throw that city in Lake Erie. I think tonight's game with against Boston is what's going to play a major factor in the Sunday line. I mean, because just public perception, when we look at a Sunday game on ABC, that's one of them games that the odds maker has circled. That's the game that's going to decide whether they win or lose for the day when it, in the NBA. That should get most of the volume. But when you look at the Lakers, they've been they're on the road right now. They have 
covered every single road game, which is rare. And if they covered a night, I don't know, guys. I think giving them more than five would be a lot for a team that, no. that just keeps covering. I think uh, regarding tonight's game, uh, in regards to the Sunday line against Cleveland, the Lakers would have to do more than cover VR. I think they'd have to beat Boston for the perception for the bookmakers to kind yeah. of— Yeah, well, I mean, Boston's given seven, correct, tonight? They're given the—is the, it is it seven? I'm almost Is it positive. up to that high? That's uh, Yeah, uh, I thought it was. Um so if the Boston's giving them seven, you're right. With with the home record of Cleveland and everything, it might be that high. Yeah, the line tonight seven on, on the game, and you know you have to put you know Boston and Cleveland. You got to you got to right put them there. On the sure, yeah. that's why I'm saying I think tonight's yeah. game is key as a handicapper yeah. mm-hmm. because we know what the line should be yeah. right now. So based on on tonight's game, gives us an edge going into Sunday. Did the odds maker adjust for public perception, or is he giving us a fair and accurate line? One thing That's on, how I like to yeah, approach it. One thing on tonight's line, and I don't know if you saw this, but in the last couple years when one team plays the night before and the other team doesn't, I've seen the line be one and a half to two points higher than it than it would be if they both played with the same amount of rest. Absolutely. They, they're really adjusting the lines for playing the night before. And the because, Lakers did play the night because before. Because of its effect on, uh, on not straight up, but against the spread. It has and a it significant was a, effect. It and, was a tough game. It was a tough game, too, for the Lakers against the Raptors. You thought that might have been a walkover. But that final score was misleading. The Raptors gave them a tough battle. Uh, that, that's why, though, the NBA is so tough. I mean, I kind of tip my hand on this Cleveland um, Lakers-Cleveland game. I'm kind of leaning towards the Cavaliers, but I, I'm certainly not getting value there. I mean, uh, pure handicapping line, is Cleveland five points better than the Lakers, even at home? I I don't know about that, but i got to go lay seven now if I want all these things. You, you're not getting bargains in the NBA. They're, they're so sharp, especially in the NBA. It, it is one of the toughest sports. The toughest, I think. To bet, to beat. Uh, What's of, tougher, VR? No, I, I don't think anything's tougher. Than, I know, you know that is the one sport the least amount of guys profit on. I don't know too many guys. You know, I know guys that just bet baseball and are able to take the rest of the year off. Mm-hmm. Guys that just bet football take the rest of the year off. But I don't know too many guys that have the ability to just bet the NBA and well, do well enough to take the rest of the year off. You're a professional. Marco's a professional. Uh, Professionals will win in every sport in the long run, except NBA. I, I mean, agree. there'll be years where they win, but there are years where they'll pack it in. And I know a lot of groups I that agree. have packed in the NBA. They're not playing the NBA. I, I agree. And the lines have been a little softer because the wise guys aren't playing as much this that, year. That's true. And one of the, the outfits that I, I work with now that is moves the lines pretty much as responsible for most of the line moves, um, to put it bluntly, has stopped with their NBA. I mean, they, they did the first two months where they felt they had an edge, and now it's, why even tangle with it? Let's exploit them in college, and these guys are just concentrating yeah. on college because of the fact NBA is difficult. I'm having okay luck with it this year. I'm ahead. Last year, I lost. Well, it I, cut into my college profits. Yeah, I, so I why so should you much... keep playing it? Just exactly. play college. I'm having a good NBA year, and I attribute uh, a, a large factor to that to softer lines yeah, because they don't killing, have to deal with these wise guys. The NBA, but like I said... You've been doing most of your damage lately, too. It's not like you just had to take advantage of them early when they were soft. I think yeah. your edge came, too. When I actually others had trouble. Playing, yeah. Others <laughs> stopped playing, and now yeah. you get a shot at these numbers. Yeah, I had trouble in November. I've been hot since December, but right. that first month I had trouble. And uh, it's rare to sometimes get a soft line, but these marquee games, no value. Uh-huh. Well, you, you guys are just setting me up the you know, uh, grapefruit here for me to hit a home run. The great segue, uh, I'm currently ranked number three in the country at the Sports Monitor in the NBA. Wow, sick so, maniac. Uh, so I've, I've been, the NBA, I don't release a lot of NBA plays. you got to be spot, selective, man. I'm selective Even me, with them. Even and, me who's as volume as they we're, come. We're hitting like 65% in the NBA That's this incredible, year. So dude. That's incredible. Knock on wood to keep that going. Well, uh, just uh, a caution. Don't get cocky in the NBA like I did. I'd been on a good NBA run. Last night, I couldn't believe it. I I had like eight, I had actually nine opinions. I figured I was going good. I, I liked these some of these games, and I went three and six. And it slaps you down fast. Anytime you start getting cocked in the NBA, look at yourself in the mirror and go, wait, wait a second. Oh, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. the NBA. Uh, you know? it'll, it'll, pick pick it'll, your spots for sure. Moving to our college game of the week, this is going to be an interesting matchup. And, you know, we got 
Memphis going into Gonzaga on Saturday, huge game. You know, Gonzaga, one of the you know tougher home floors in college basketball. This is, you know, one of those teams, you know, out of the West Coast Conference. We always hear that phrase, you know, mid-major conference. And Gonzaga has made a name for themselves in the last 10 years in the NCAA tournament. This is going to be a tough game for Memphis to go in there. It is. When you look at Gonzaga, we can no longer call them a mid-major. Every year they're competing. I mean, and the fact that the AP and ESPN polls don't give them the respect they deserve, I think allows us as betters to find an advantage with teams like this. Because when you look at their poll, I mean, they have Memphis above Gonzaga. And my power ratings, my work, my numbers just don't show that. I mean, I see Gonzaga having a huge edge offensively and even defensively where Memphis is known as a defensive team, probably top three, top five in the nation. I don't think they're too far behind Gonzaga's, right there next to them. So I think this is a real tough game for Gonzaga to go in, Marco. Right now, Memphis is ranked 14th. You have Gonzaga sitting at 18th. And Gonzaga had that little hiccup halfway into the season. Remember, they lost that three in a row. It was to UConn, Portland State, and Utah. Games that they should have got out of there at least two and one with. Um, but since then, they've been on a really nice roll, winning on the road, winning at home. And I think it's going to be tough for Memphis. The one thing when I looked at this game and broke this game down, the one thing that stuck out more than anything else is size. We're going to see two very tall teams out there on the court Saturday. Um, I give the edge to, on experience to Gonzaga. They have an older team. Um, and I think the lines maker, because Gonzaga hasn't been covering, they win, but they don't cover too much. I think we're going to get a low line here. I made my fair line around 4 and 135 for this game. I think that's what Gonzaga should be favored. I don't even think we'll see it that high. Um, it's going to be a great game. Both these teams had very tough schedules so far, so they've both been tested. And, uh, you know, matchups, it's great when you look at it. You know, you got Austin Day and Joss Haitlett for, for, for Memphis, 6'11", both of them monsters. But then you got, you know, Tyreek Evans, 6'6", freshman, tearing it up. So, you know, it's, it's tough. It's going to be a great game, man. Well, you, they got Kyle Perry coming out to the West Coast, you yeah. know, so it's kind of rare. But it, it's a... It's a great chance for Gonzaga. It's a nationally televised game against a, you know, a hugely ranked opponent with a big name. But I don't think the spot's that good for Gonzaga. They have to take care of business in their own conference. They got a huge game tonight. Portland, yeah. Playing huge. at Portland. That's going to be a very – that's for first place. If yeah. Portland wins, they tie Gonzaga for first place in the West Coast Conference. So I don't know how much attention they can devote. It's a very quick turnaround then after the game tonight. Uh, very good point. And, you know, you mentioned Portland. There's another good team in this conference for a small conference. Um, St. Mary's is a very good ball club. Well, Portland West, just beat. You know, the West Coast Conference. Yeah. And, and one thing that's made Gonzaga a good team in the last several years is games like this where they're not afraid to schedule a big gun. They, you know, like you said, they played UConn early in the year. They're scheduling Memphis now. You have those kind of games early in the year that builds character. You've you know you got pressure situations. You play the big name schools. Then when you get into the conference or the NCAA tournament, you're battle tested. You know that's what happens oh. to some of these mid majors that they've got the sparkling records, but they never they never play anybody. I and couldn't then they, agree more. So I give you know Gonzaga's non conference record is as tough as they come. I mean Memphis can't even touch it when you when you if you're going to go on strength of non conference schedule alone. It's a Gonzaga blowout. I mean, this team has been tested. Um, I, I agree with, with, with what Steven said. Portland is a huge game for them and a tough game for them, one that's being played on the road. Um, and then, like he said, it's a quick turnaround to play Saturday. Fortunately for them, Memphis just finished up a road game also. So now here they are playing on the road, returning home, having to go back to the West Coast. So as far as scheduling is concerned, I don't give an edge to either team going into Saturday. I'm hoping for a great game. Believe it or not, that's the game I'm going to use, give my free pick out on a little later on. I like the total of the game. 
Um, but that's pretty much what I have on it. Looking for a really good game. Can't wait to watch okay. it Saturday. That's a great segue. We'll head into our third and final segment. When we come back, we're going to have a free pick from both Vegas Runner, Stephen Nover, and myself. This is the Sports Betting Preview Show, a pregame.com podcast. This is RJ Bell, founder of pregame.com, here to tell you about pregame forms, the place where sports bettors talk. Hundreds of posters informing and entertaining 24 hours a day with free picks and deep insight. Good people to celebrate wins with and moan about losses. You can post or just sit back and take it all in. Over $10,000 a year is given away in cash and prizes. Go to pregame.com and click forms or visit directly through pregameforms.com where everyone gets back more than they give from the many others giving. Welcome back to the Sports Betting Preview Show, a pregame.com podcast. This is the third and final segment. This is Marco D'Angelo along with Vegas Runner and Steven Nover. And this is the portion of the show where we give you free picks from each of our experts. Before we do that, as we do each and every week, we like to give away RJ's money, and I'm going to give you guys a coupon. You can use this coupon at pregamepros.com. You can buy uh, anything you want, put it in your shopping cart, use this coupon, and since it's basketball season, football's all done, we're going to have the coupon HOOPS10. That's the word HOOPS and the number 10, and that will get you $10 off anything you put in your shopping cart. It's a one-time use coupon and that coupon will be available through Monday. So take advantage of it. And we got some guys on some streaks at the site. Uh, be sure to check everybody out with the hot streaks. Jeff Bond's been running real good with his college basketball, especially underdogs. He hit another big triple dime play last night. He's 10-2 and two for the year in college basketball on triple dime underdog plays. And our first free pick's going to come from Stephen Nover. And I tell you, Stephen, you've been ripping it up in the NBA. Since December, your NBA plays, you're hitting 60%. And as we said, the NBA is a tough nut to crack, and you've been doing very well with the NBA. And over the last six days, your college is heating up 75% over the last six days. Very nice run there. Tell us what you got for us this weekend. Well, thanks for the plug, Marco. Um, I'm looking at a Saturday game, uh, New Jersey uh, hosting Denver. Uh, I, I like the Nets here. They've um, kind of flying under the radar screen a bit. They've won three in a row. They know they need to step up their game in order to make a serious playoff run. And they catch um, Denver in a very good situation. It's going to be Denver's fourth game in five nights and second in two days. And the Nuggets, they do have Carmelo Anthony back. It's a little uh, getting adjusted back to him. He is back. However, uh, Chauncey Billups and Kenyon Martin both were out, and their their question will be uh, their their status will be questionable here. I think it's just a question of the Nets playing well right now at home, catching Denver, uh, facing some fatigue issues and some injury issues, and. Um, uh, depending on the line, I would be looking, uh, my first look would be a strong look at the Nets. Okay, thanks, Stephen. Good luck with that play. And we're going to go to Vegas Runner. And Vegas Runner, he's up 30 units on the season, college and pro. He's ranked currently in the top 20 in both the NBA and college basketball, as documented by the Sports Monitor. Over the last eight weeks with all of your basketball, you're cashing 60%. Winners, you're ripping it up. This is the time. Vegas Runner, what do you got for us? This Thanks, week? brother. You know me. I, I, I love football, but I live for basketball, man, because it's just it's every day you get so many games. The opportunity to profit's there every single day. You don't really have to, especially for a volume guy like myself, to have you know the opportunity to a big board really it gives me an edge. Um, I'm going to go back to that Gonzaga game, the Memphis game. Uh, after breaking it down for the podcast, I started looking at the total. Although we don't know what the number is going to be, should be around 135, 136. That's my fair number. Um, usually with two great defenses, you tend to go under. But here. I like the over. I'm going to tell you why. But I like the tempo for both of these teams. They're willing to go up and down the court. 
and they're willing to take shots. You know, they, they don't need six, seven, eight passes before they, they go to the rim. Um, number two, like I said, we're going to see two very big teams, two tall teams. I look for both to try to get an advantage inside. What that means is we're going to have fouls. We're going to have higher percentage shots. So I really think it tends to go over in these situations. Finally, Gonzaga has such a huge edge on the outside. I see Memphis spreading it out on defense, forcing them actually to come more inside to beat them. Once again, causing fouls and more high percentage shots. I like this game to go over. As long as it's around 135, 136, we should see both teams in the low 70s enough to get you in over. Sounds good. Thanks for the free pick there, VR. And before I get to my free pick, i just tell you guys what I've been doing. As I mentioned in the last segment, Kick it ass. <laughs> the, the NBA uh, ranked third in the country, uh, as documented by the Sports Monitor. Overall, all plays the last 19 days. I'm on a 24-11 and 11 run with my plays. Uh, just been a real good basketball season, and we want to keep that rolling all the way through March Madness. And I've got a play for you on Saturday Actually, I believe the game's Sunday, if Stan corrected, in college basketball. Uh, Sunday afternoon, I got Creighton traveling to northern Iowa in a Missouri Valley Conference game. And I'm a very situational-type handicapper. And last night, I had a big play on Creighton. And the reason for that play on Wednesday night was Creighton was playing at Drake, and they were playing with major revenge. They lost three times to Drake last year obviously the third time being in their conference tournament, and they lost the first time this year at home. They went into Drake last night, small line. They beat up on Drake last night. Big revenge game, a lot of attention to that game. I just feel they can't bring the same intensity for a second road game in a row. They're going to go into Northern Iowa. Northern Iowa is the class of the Missouri Valley Conference this year. Uh, a Sunday home game in the afternoon. I'm going to take Northern Iowa at home, and I look for them to blow out Creighton on Sunday. So my free pick for you guys this week is Northern Iowa. That is a Sunday afternoon college basketball game. And uh, that's going to pretty much wrap up our sports betting preview show for this week. We'll be back next week. Uh, just a programming note, uh, now that we are in basketball season, we will be airing on Thursdays, so you can look for the podcast to be up Thursday afternoon sometime. And uh, RJ should be back with us next week if we can get him out of the <laughs> strip clubs in uh, Tampa. And I'm sure he'll have some stories for us when he gets back. But uh, this has been the Sports Betting Preview Show, a pregame.com podcast. Talk to you guys next week.